check. I think we are live on a Friday in uh, rainy Redding, California. Welcome back to Booking Confirmed. Dennis and Christian are here. Yo, yo. And we have a, a special guest. I think we teased it a little bit last episode. Um, but uh, we are bringing our, our only our second guest to the show, uh, our fr- longtime friend and uh, also a short-term rental operator amongst a, a a whole bunch of other things that you do, including being a real estate agent, Mr. Todd Strombach. Todd, say hello. Hello. Good to be with you guys. All right. And so people are going to might come in, but um, we wanted to bring in a perspective of, uh, of an agent overall into the conversation. Uh, and, and we think about it in, as far as, you know, what are people going through look, looking to get into short-term rental operating and part of that is the systems and also the, uh, the relationships that you're building with people like agents and contractors mm-hmm. and the city. Um, but we also talk a lot about, you know, especially if you are, you know, having a significant other, like the relationships at home and making big decisions. And so uh, you've done a lot of investing. Um, you've done a lot of collaborating. You've also been my personal real estate agent as well as the real estate agent of a lot of my friends. So welcome. Welcome to the show. And, uh, and thanks for making some time for us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Christian, you want to give a little bit of a background about what we want to kick off with? Well, yeah, I, mean, I just wanted to first, yeah, you know, have Todd introduce himself, you know, give, give the audience a little background about, um, you know, his history in real estate, um, you know, and he's got a kind of a robust history in, you know, property management, real estate agent on both, you know, single family homes, multifamily homes, um, you know, and then uh, a short-term rental operator yourself and a short-term rental investor. Um, And so we'll kind of touch on all of that as we get through the episode, but just kind of wanted to get a good, uh, you know, just foundation for the audience to kind of know where you're coming from, just a little bit about your background and how you got into real estate. And, and before you before you jump in, uh, you know every every investor is in a different place. We don't have to say any disclaimers, but we're the three of us are sitting here, and, and our stories have been kind of intertwined over the last fifteen years, right? And so the idea of uh, you don't you know people don't have to go alone, um, and they're they're not the first to do a lot of these things. But it's interesting that we're sitting here in one of my properties, but we could just as easily be in one of the two of your properties talking about this stuff, but. Running together with a crew, we were talking about co-investing and collaborating 12 years ago together, mm. the, the, the eight or nine of us, right? As really dreams, like dreams in the market of yeah. like, hey, let's pull our money, let's pull our capital, let's pull our resources and see. And back then the market was, was down again, like it's we're going into now, so some parallels. But this is the idea of like, you don't necessarily have to co-invest and partner to get into the game. Now, depending on where you're at and your major metro and your barrier of entry and the average purchase price, like getting capital is, is one thing. Um, but I think that, you know, I don't think either of you co-invested with anybody else as your first real estate purchase. And so people that are getting in the game, you can speak this a little bit, but Todd, you and I have been on multiple reconnaissance trips throughout the country looking at opportunities of, of, to invest. And, uh, and those were, those were really interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I, I sometimes, I didn't take advantage of, you took advantage of a couple of those things, but just realizing that our, our, not just our, our lives and friendships, but our real estate journeys have been intertwined because we've chosen to run together in life. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, you've been our agent and yeah, but more so you've been our friend first. And we kind of share this, this group knowledge together because we really do want all each other to win. So. Yeah. And I think 
it's kind of fortunate that it played out that way in the sense that trust is huge when it comes to doing real estate. So the fact that we have some relationship outside of just the professional relationship, I think it served to make our transactions smoother, which is really helpful. Well, and we talk we talk a lot about communication too, uh, both communication with sellers and uh, communication with agents, right? And so, um, and I, I've heard you talk a lot about like you know you have you have some clients that just like go crazy when they're put in circumstances of, of high stress, whether mm-hmm. they're selling or buying. Oh yeah. And um, and not everyone thinks like Christian and I, but I'd say you know we we're, we're high risk, but also we like to make decisions, and that's that, that's unique to everybody else. But your agent perspective is going to be really interesting. But before that, go ahead and jump into a little bit about your your background because you've covered a lot of the different variables of how you can invest in the real estate market, both as an insider insider as well as an, as an outsider. Because you started multiple businesses around real estate. Uh, well, when did you start? When did you start getting into the real estate sphere? So it started in 2005 when I moved to Reading, and basically I lived in a student rental house, and the owner um, just liked me after he got to know me, of course. And uh, what's not to like, Todd? What is, like what is not to like? I will be henceforth referring to Mr. Todd Tromack as Toddy. There we go. The rest mm-hmm. of this episode, yep. I like to call it's him. It's true. That'll work. We're getting real. So, yeah, he took a liking to me for whatever reason, and he asked me if I would just manage the house for him, and if I said yes, I got to live there rent-free. So, it's pretty easy. So, you limped into property management? Yeah, I accidentally kind of just fell into it like that. And so, basically, I started to see that once I was in it as a cool opportunity. And like a lot of, I think, real estate stories, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad Mm -hmm. somewhere in that space, and that really you know, lit my fire about real estate investing and realized I have an opportunity to gain some experience uh, just by even property management. Um, so that was a great way to get started. So um, just out of, of curiosity, as a, as a kid growing up, did, were you exposed to people buying and selling houses and property and property management? Not in any special way, no. So basically living in that house um, with a bunch of students, it's, that's, that's the rental model that I first was exposed to um, was student housing. So I think we're going to talk about, you know, there's long-term housing, there's short-term housing, and then there's unique niches like student housing or yeah. nurses yeah. or, you know, everything else in the middle. So that was my foot in the door to real estate was student housing. And, uh, I had a blast doing it. I realized, you know, what if I could make this awesome? What if we could find a way to create a model where students would love living there and it would be a win for the owners, for the students, and for myself managing? Yeah. That was my goal. Yeah. And we actually created that. And by about the second or third year, there was so much momentum within that community that we started having like a line of people that wanted to live at the house and pay a reasonable amount of money because it was pretty great. Yeah. It wasn't perfect by any means. Learned a lot in those early years about things that work and don't work. But overall, we found a model that felt like it was working and was scalable. And so that's... Yeah. Do, you, do you feel like that first experience with to... Because I, I don't know if you thought yourself of a se- as a separate business owner of a, of a property management um, and not necessarily because you, you didn't obviously own the property, but it did it help familiarize yourself with the potential risks of having renters of your own and properties that you would own in the future? Hundred percent. Yeah, 
because I still needed to make sure that everyone was protected. So we had to create leases, we had to collect security deposits, and all those steps of kind of like the fundamentals yeah. of managing, I got familiar with, and the pitfalls and how to avoid problems. So it was a great way to get started in it's, the business. It's, it's super fun to, to hear this because I remember like those houses mm. that you managed when I first came to Reading. Okay. Like they would often be like like on a Saturday, like a volleyball game in the middle of like the courtyard or something like that. And I mean, oh, even yeah. some of the people that took over after you left. Right. I mean, wasn't it Mike Mashiro that took yeah. over your yep. business after yep. you left and like yep. kind of carried it on for at least a while? Yep, that's right. You know, and that, that you created, I remember this community that like you created, it was a really like truly unique um, kind of vibe and more of like a family feel amongst the number of like properties mm -hmm. that, you know, you don't normally get as like, a, you know, a young like, you know, early, early twenties individual, like outside of like a college setting, right? Like, how do you get that kind of thing? That's, that's kind of like what you were creating, right? Like almost like a college setting dorm experience, but like with structure. That was kind of the goal was to be able to do that. And it did yeah. feel like we hit it pretty well yeah, on target. Totally. And so that's funny. You remember some of that stuff. Well, and... Yeah. I mean, cause I'm even like, it, it, it's fun to kind of reminisce on this. Cause I, you know, I think of you now as the real estate agent. Yeah, Todd, which right. is kind of your primary role these days, you know, most other things you do. Yeah. But, but you know, back then it was you know Todd. Todd did you know property management. Property manager. You know? Definitely. Yeah. That's how I got started. You, and it was your. What would you say it was a lifestyle business for you? Property management. Probably, I was working full time at the church then yeah. for Chris, and uh, that was like my side hustle. Yeah. As it started, um, but. You were still single, right, at the time? Or were you, were you in fifth married yet? Um, when I started that first student house, I was single. Yeah, that was uh -huh. 2005. I got married in 2009. Okay. So. Did you live on the property at the beginning? I yeah. Mean, I guess at the very beginning, but then how soon did you? So I lived there a couple times. I think I had a gap of like a year in between where I lived with some other friends, but uh -huh. I still managed it when I wasn't there, gotcha. which was a cool growth opportunity yeah. to not be there on yeah. site, yeah. watching yeah. over these guys yeah. all the time, making sure they're behaving, but having to create a model where things still worked without being there. Um, but we kind of figured that out. And so the next move wasn't till 2010. Uh, we kind of ironed out that model, got things working really smoothly at that house. And then we got the opportunity to buy for ourselves. I was, mar I was married in 2009 and 2010, we, you know, the market was, in a great place to buy. Yeah. And we found a duplex that had been built in 2006. That was a crazy buy. Wow. Sold in, awesome. yeah, you remember that? I remember, I, I was there, yeah. I, I, was, I visited duplex, yeah. It sold in 2007, the year after it was built, for $405,000. And in 2010, in the recession, we were able to pick it up for 203. That's awesome. And it was, you know, it was only yeah. a few years old. Yeah. So yeah. that was huge. Honestly, that purchase completely changed our life. We were in a tough, you know, place financially. Like property management's okay, but it doesn't yeah. pay very well. Yeah. It's very stressful. Yeah. I I always feel like I value those people a lot now. Well, so. well you got an, you got a very unique opportunity to have some some sense of ownership and doing property management and house hacking before you had before you had to pay the mortgage, right? And mm -hmm. so you kind of got to yeah. foreshadow like what it would be well, like. 
And that's what was really helpful is yeah. that we had that experience. So I knew exactly how to run a student rental. So yeah. that's what we did is we lived in one side of the duplex and did students on the other side and it worked great. Well, I don't know if you've listened to our episode on expectation setting, which we did, I think last week, but I, I know I'm, I'm sure you have a lot of uh, stories and or wisdom around proper expectation setting for short term rental operators, because, you know, how do we, how to define success and what do you want the, the, the product you're creating to to be? Um, but yeah, we talked a lot about expectation setting. I'm, I'm assuming as a pro full-time property manager, uh, you had to set some pretty clear expectations. No. Absolutely. I think in real estate, I mean, maybe in business in general, but in real estate, that's half the battle is being able to set good expectations for yep. everybody, clients, tenants, everybody. Mm -hmm. Well, we, we started, I mean, I'm sure that's, that's held in tension, but you know, you, we write contracts not for when things are good. We write contracts for when mm. things aren't good. Sure. And, yeah. uh, and trust can definitely insulate like things going off the rails. And it's, it's a, hopefully a, a, a great barrier and something that should go before you and follow after you if you do it right. But, I mean, good relationships have clear boundaries. And in writing, you're going to keep it clear, keep it clear and keep honest people honest. You learn a lot about human nature doing property management. And that was a big learning curve for me is you would, you think you kind of know people yeah, or you think from their application, you get a certain impression from them. Yeah. yeah. And so often when the rubber meets the road, because the people get stressed out when things get tight, they start not wanting to pay their rent. You yeah. got to really, you get to see people in a whole different light and have to learn how to deal with that. That's a big part of property management. You ever say something? Wow. Yeah. So do you, um, that was, that was really fascinating. I was going to comment on something else, but like, I think that's really fascinating. So in some sense, like I, I, I get another example. My, my, my brother-in-law is a police officer mm. and, um, sometimes I'll hear him say things about humanity and I'll think, you know, yeah, a lot of that just comes from his experience. Like when you're just dealing with kind of the worst part of society on a regular basis, like the people you're arresting, you know, Cali, it's like you sure. get a little bit yeah. like mm -hmm. like raw yeah. in that rubbed raw. Would you say it's kind of similar to like in property management? I I don't think it's going to be you know nearly as sure. intense psychologically. Yeah. Um, Unless you're slumlord, but yeah, it, could, it, <laughs> it, it can get pretty crazy. Or, if, or talk about it. we talk about slumlording and buying properties and yeah. not not keeping them up and. I mean, or just owning property in rough areas, which we yeah, might sure. get into later, yeah, where yeah. you mm -hmm. know tenants can be difficult to deal with but yeah I don't think it's you know the same necessarily but some of those principles I would say yeah you learn a lot about human nature being in real estate as an agent or as a property manager and it's it's actually like I really enjoyed that it was really fascinating even as an people. agent too oh yeah man like, in what like just so real estate is so emotional people don't think it's gonna be maybe but when things start to really you guys both have probably felt this in some of our deals. When things really start to get real, the amount of money on the line, for the, especially for the average person, this yeah. is the biggest financial decision they'll ever make. Mm -hmm. And then they're thinking about their home, where they're going to maybe raise their family. Or, you know, it's like, it's extremely emotional. And, dude, I'm not going to name names, probably. <laughs> oh, wait, okay. On a scale of <laughs> 1 to 10, I'll put myself on the spot here. Because okay. you're as my real estate agent. We've done, I don't know how many deals. 
Yeah, not enough. But. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> we're, about to, we're about to do another one. That's right, that's right. like a, a true agent. <laughs> <laughs> we close on, on my biggest deal ever. No, it's been awesome run with you. Um, in closing a couple weeks. Yep. Or less than, I don't know. Yeah. Week Next and a half. Yep. That Next one's week. been exciting. That one's been, that's been a lot of work. That's right. A lot of work more than like, yeah, there's been But yeah, so I, I'm just trying to get a grid for how emotional people are. Because like I, I know myself, on a scale yeah. of 1 to 10, where am I on the scale? 10 being like off the cuff. You 1 can, being you, like... You can put me on the scale too if you super, want. All right. So. No, you guys sure? You guys sure yeah, we're going to yeah, do this? Yeah, okay. shoot me, dude. Oh my gosh. Okay, so... On, of what you're describing, yeah. Like, I think you're actually an interesting example, if we're willing to open that up Dude, a little let's bit. let's do it. Okay. 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 This is getting real. Um, no, I mean, I think you're great to work with because you really know what you want and you're very decisive. So that's really helpful because a lot of people don't have either one of those things. They know they just want money. They want cash flow, but they yeah. don't know how to, how to get it. They don't really know exactly what they're looking for. Yeah. And then even when it is like presented to them as an opportunity... They, they don't know how to move forward. Like, they're not sure how to make a decision. They waffle. And so, you, you're really good to work with. And um, here's the but. But, you're an asshole. No, we know we're assholes, by the way. We talk about this, right? I wouldn't put it that way. Okay, that's um, right. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give it to me. No, and I think when it comes to, like, I would say it was interesting if you can remember when you were buying your house for your family. Sure some of the emotion that came up. I mean, that was a very stressful deal because yeah. of how some things developed. But like, I remember, you know, when things were really difficult, like, and this is the neighborhood we're sitting in now, this house. Correct. Okay. Yeah. 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 And yeah. just the way, you know, you had to blow off some steam and, you know, I'm not going to get into details, but I was like, <laughs> yeah, you know, this is a guy who, if people know Christian, you're like, he's calm, cool, collected, you know, chill. Um, as far as like, you know, I know you can get spicy, but you know, in in the sense of like public perception and I'm like, whether it's you or other people, I could tell you like when things, the rubber meets the road, people get very emotional, you know, potentially. Um, so yeah, the way you process besides your, your personal home, like investments is like, you have a pretty aggressive posture. And I think that I don't ever try to necessarily, um, make someone adjust like their posture because I think you just have to be aware of the pros and cons of that. And we talk through that. Yeah. So, you know, when you're ready to kind of like blow the deal up to, you know, get the deal you want, I'm like, Hey, we can do that. Just realize, you know, if we do that, that way, if I say this thing that way, are you really ready to let this deal completely blow up? And sometimes you might say yes. And sometimes you might say, okay, no, let's, let's think about how we can approach that. Todd has talked me off. A number of clicks. <laughs> so, I will say that. But one thing I just want to touch on this. Yeah. So yeah, the personal thing is so it's so interesting. Yeah. Because I felt different. Right. On right. that deal. Interesting, right? Yeah. yeah. Because it was like I know my wife wanted this, and so yeah, I'm trying to make this deal work, and I'm trying to negotiate the best price I can. Yep. And something that will even legitimately work based off our current situation and yep. the note we are going to get. But I'm I'm also like. Um, is so invested with the family, right? And like wanting them to get that, wanting my wife to get that house. Hundred percent. I remember I was in Vegas. I remember we were in Vegas. I was in Vegas with my with my siblings and their spouses. And I remember walk, I think I was walking through the casino and we were talking. I'm just f bombing left and right, just letting it rip. Like these. Motherfuckers. 
fuckers. Like, <laughs> I'm like, let him blow off the steam. He's got to do it. It's going to be okay. It <laughs> was think, okay. I think. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> but we got through it. Got we got the, through it. And we got and the house. We got the house. To be honest, um, I would say maybe 80% or more of clients are that way. Like somewhere along the line on this deal, they feel the fear or the greed or the need more than they, you know, would want to really negotiate well. And we have to, like, that's, I feel like that's a huge part of my job is helping people work through that stuff and try to try to get back to a place of rationality as much as possible, which is really hard to do most of the time. You're almost like, like being a real estate agent, which I know we're digressing into this, but this is really great content. Like yeah. you're almost like play, like, like a counselor. Role. Yeah. A little bit. Like at times. Yep. Which you're great at that. Like you have such a good demeanor for that. And like you've talked me off a number of cliffs. Like, 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 like tell me about that a little bit more. Is that kind of just like per each person? You just kind of, you know, allow them to be them. It sounds like, you mm-hmm. know, try to like be like, Hey, this is how I like to do this. Like if, you know, let them feel what they want to feel, let them say what they want to say. And then, and then you almost kind of approach them as just individuals and, and, and just kind of help them work through their own stuff. And, yeah, I mean, what are the chances I'm going to be able to change somebody's personality? Sure. Not great, right? Yeah. So I think I've just learned how to work with all kinds of different personalities. And I think they all have different pros and cons, strengths and weaknesses. But one of my goals is to just make clients aware when we're in the heat of like a deal is here's the pros and cons of that approach that you want to take right now when you're full of emotion just try to be as sober about that as you can, because that way I'm trying to set it up where I'm creating good expectations like we talked about. And so they go, Hey, if I decide to do it that way, I'm aware of the risks I'm taking of how that might go. And so if they take that risk and things go badly, they're not going to be super, you know, hopefully they're not going to be super upset because at least they were prepared for that, which I think is, you know, we're going to get into this more about how to find a good agent. But to me, like I've really learned over the years for real estate, at least, experience is so huge. You did, know. did you know that you had a, uh, you know, that inside you, because you mentioned earlier, you've learned a lot about humanity, but what I'm hearing is a lot about human psychology, consumer psychology, um, risk aversion versus acceptance of risk. I'm hearing a lot about conflict resolution, how people deal with stress. I mean, is that what all those things go into when you said, can you learn a lot about humanity or is more so it's, man, I thought they were one way and my expectations needed to be adjusted when I'm dealing with this. So that's the first question I have. I would say both. Um, I think I said human nature, which is kind of like a bit of both of what you're saying. And I believe you. I'll check the tape. But check the tape. Check the tape. I could be wrong. No, no, Probably not, but I could be. Um, I think in property management, it was kind of scandalous to me to realize because especially like most of our renters, most of the students were in like a Christian ministry school that you guys both know about up here. And so you would expect, at least I would expect a certain level of character, integrity, follow through decorum. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. And it was like, yeah. it was a lot for me to realize like that is not necessarily the case. Yeah. Not every Christian or Christian student is going to deal with something like of this nature, uh, which is more of a business transaction with integrity. So, you know, creating leases and creating expectations with them up front that were very clear became, you know, it was all very important because I, I learned I couldn't trust any of them to 
just show you know integrity through the trust system or the honor system. We well, we had to have these things defined. Well, you just mentioned that it, how important um, as an as an agent this idea of experience is. Yeah. Going in just the student rental housing, you're dealing with people that have oftentimes no financial literacy, zero, have had very little responsibility, 100%. have never had never had any responsibility of, of funding or money, mm-hmm. or people asking them to do things at a certain time. So, like if you're just coming out of uh, either college or high school, where you're told what to do and what to think and where to go and what's allowed, and you have to be given the responsibility, the burden of life happening to you, until you can get some some wherewithal, some tools to actually get on top of life and out in front of life, like that goes back to, um, you know, the expectation setting for you. Did you know you had kind of that, I mean, you mentioned a counselor, right? Did you know that you, that your personality lended itself towards counseling people or talking through stuff with people already? I would say yes, but I don't think I, I definitely don't think I appreciated how it would play into my career. Well, and that, but it, it definitely has been a way that I make it work. Well, and that I think is your differentiator as an agent. You're taking a very yeah. emotional, intelligent skill set into a very transactional interaction, which is the purchase of a property. But can, but and also like for most people, for the for most people you're working with are, mm-hmm. are just individuals who aren't real estate investors mm-hmm. that are buying a home, mm-hmm. which is often the biggest purchase they will ever make. Yep. And so as you say, it can be one of the most emotional experiences of their life and emotionally Absolutely. like uh, um, traumatic even. I mean, and, and it's absolutely. just like there's so many fluctuations in a real estate deal. I mean, I don't know, you know, we've done over, I don't know, six or seven real estate deals to know. And every single one has been a roller coaster. Yeah. Bar none. Yeah. And maybe it's just me as a buyer. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not. But there all there's so many like hurdles to overcome in the process, and so many ups and downs that you just see somebody go on this ride, right? Hundred percent. And I expect it every time to some extent. And I try to set that expectation with my clients that there's going to be just expect there's going to be some turbulence, and I'm going to fly this thing as smoothly as I can control and land this thing if that's where it goes. But you need to be prepared that we're going to hit some turbulence of some sort somewhere along the way. Hopefully it's not too bad and we can land the plane. And that's really helped me because I definitely learned after a while doing this, like pretty much every single deal at some point is going to have some turbulence. And it's fascinating to me. I've been in this since, uh, you know, over 15 years now, full time for over 10 years. And every deal I do, I will come across something I've never dealt with before. Every single deal. There's just so many variables with real estate. You know, some of the stuff we've been dealing with yeah. on this current property. It's like, I've never run into some of this stuff yeah, before. I'm just saying, like, it's yeah. interesting, right? Like, every deal yeah. has that. So, sure. um, the thing about experience when you're finding an agent, I think is largely through experience, you figure out how to set good expectations with people. And for me, I think my personality is I really value relationships. Like, I'm wired that way. So my way of working with clients, I think, was, you know, I wanted to protect that relationship with these people. I want to protect trust with them. So I, it drove me crazy if I came into a situation on a deal and they weren't prepared for it and they just go through a bad experience. Like, I hate that. I feel bad. 
it kind of weighs on me. I feel responsible. So going through the pain of having that happen over the first few years I was in it, it kind of created a place where eventually I figured out how to avoid that for the most part by creating good expectations with the clients, both at the beginning of the deal. uh, It's all from the first time I talked to them on the phone about they're interested in real estate all the way through when we're in escrow and closing a deal, like there's expectations I'm creating from the first moment that really helps make things go smoother. Do do you do any qualification of clients? Like, do you try to get to know them to see if they're high trust, low trust, like super emotional? And do you ever fire, do you ever fire anyone? You're like, Hey, if you're going to buy a house anyway, I'll, I'll steward you through the best you can. But I'm sure there's clients that you, based off your experience, you would hesitate to do more business with them. Yes. It's rare no, for it's me. Not any names. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get out my list. <laughs> it's interesting, right? Cause like, you know, there's, there's certain people we both, we all know that are more challenging to work with, um, than others. But one of those people in particular, I've done more business with than anybody. So it really just depends on the situation. And that is something that I was going to mention about for new, for people that want to get into this world of investing. This world, do you mean becoming an agent? Becoming Sorry, no. Uh, getting into and purchasing investment property. Because okay, I know we want to yeah. speak to that, mm-hmm. that space. Um, oh, no, I lost my train. But people, it was that, be, people that want to get into real amazing. estate investing, you were talking about challenging clients. Oh, yes. So, you know, I, I had this happen in the beginning quite a bit where someone calls me and they're like, hey, I'm, I've been reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I'm, you know, I'm reading Kiyosaki. I'm going to, what I want you to do with me, Todd, is we're going to look at 100 properties a month. Um, I'm going to write, I'm going to write 10 low ball offers and it's their first first purchase. And I don't have, yeah, I haven't talked to a lender yet. And, uh, I want to, I want to go look at hundred properties this month. I don't, you know, I don't have to even fire that person because we don't start. I go, Hey, I'm probably not the right agent for you. Um, you know, best of luck. Mm -hmm. Click. Um, certain people though come with that, that posture. And I like the posture. I'm like, great. You're leaning in, you're reading books. Like that's, that's, that's a good start. But I would say it would really help to get a good agent's attention to create with some expectations with them that you're serious. That's the biggest thing is making them feel like, you know, maybe you're starting out, but if they work with you and they do extra, like, you know, they hustle with showing you more property than they would making more offers that are maybe not great offers than they would want to. If there's a sense that at some point that's going to be worth all that extra effort you're more likely to get them to want to work with you on that. And I've done that with a few different people and sometimes it hasn't worked out great, which is part of the risk you take as an agent and it's no problem. Um, but sometimes it's worked out really well. Might've taken a few years until things got you know, more serious with that buyer, but once starts working, it can be totally worth it. So that's my encouragement to people that are trying to get into it. Trying to find a good agent is find a way to help them feel like it's going to be worth it to work with you. Yeah. And just, just to clarify in case, in case you've never worked with an agent and you're not sure how the, the fees are structured, typically the way that it works, whether you're working with a buyer agent, so your, your agent is helping you buy a property, or if you're a seller and you're selling your home, the average fee is 3%. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? 
Uh, for the buyer side. For the buyer side. And the seller side is? Three also. Three percent. Yep. yep. So, t- and typically, the seller will pay the fees. So, out of the sale. Correct. That 6% for both the buyer's agent and the seller's agent, if they have agents, will come from the seller and will pay that fee. Right. So these agents are only paid their commission based on a close. Correct. So if, if, you know, in Todd's example, if he's got this guy that he's showing 100 homes to, but he never buys a home, he just spent 100 hours showing this guy homes and got nothing for it. And some people just expect you to do that. And that's not going to work for yeah. most agents, especially if you're in a place where you, you, you have enough success in your career that you don't need every client, totally. you're probably not going to want to sign up for that. Yeah. And those are the agents you probably want to work with, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I remember, you know, when, when we first started working together, um, back when I bought my home in 2010, I was actually working with another agent at the time, kind of loosely, mm. and they weren't really working that hard for me. It was a ca- it was a casual relationship. They were they were established, you know. They had their clients, and and they were kind of showing me stuff. But mm. I was I was like, I want to buy something. I was like, I was ready to buy something. I was looking to buy something. Yeah. And and we talked, and you were like, and I was like, I was like, hey, I'm not, you know, I didn't sign anything with them. Mm-hmm. You know, if 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 you find me property, I'll go look at it with you. And you ended up finding me the home that we bought. Yeah. And that was the beginning of our relationship. And so at that time, I think that was earlier in your career. Definitely. And you were still in that place where you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to work like and go hunt stuff down for people. Absolutely. And I think there is a sweet spot where you find an agent that has a good amount of experience and background. So they know what they're doing, but they're hungry to grow their business. Like that's a great sweet spot for a new investor to find that agent, and that's, that's what we, that's what I, where I was at. Yeah. So yeah. from from a, any from any business perspective, you know, I always think from a go to market business strategy, like the type of clients that are the best are usually low touch, high yield, right? Sure. I mean, if, sure. If, if you can do it, if it and works out that way. If that's it works out that way, just fine. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and, and, and if and if I I try to model my my own workings, not just the way I think about property and you know, I'm, I'm always sleuthing. I have, I'm, I'm mapping the neighborhoods. I'm going up and, I know you and I'm bringing, I'm bringing you, I, I, I like to be as low touch as possible, especially when we work together. Even if this one is a no touch because it was a for sale by owner. And so the, because the guy didn't want any agents in it. Right. And so even to that degree, but um, I, don't, I don't want to talk about that. I know, I know, I know. I know. It's not we're here, but we're not here. Uh, but I mean, he's I, gonna he's gonna piss on your house. I, but I, I mean, I've I've also tried to be as low touch. You weren't here when we first got here because yeah, I, I that, feel better now. But I know that that's, that's the type of that's the type of client I want. I want, and so yep. I, I try to model the type of client that I want. I want to be that type of client, right? At the same time. Yeah, we haven't talked about you yet. Ooh, uh, we haven't. Are we gonna do that? What's that? Remember, we talked about Christian, but I think we also wanted to psychoanalyze you a little bit as a, oh, as a, oh, as a client, oh, as a buyer. Okay, okay. yeah, we have. Conveniently, you forgot about that. I was going to bring up. I was going to bring up the time <laughs> where you and I we we bought a uh, an online blind auction house. Um, worked out great, and it worked out great. I just bought a house before I told my wife. And so I, <laughs> uh, but I paid. I for didn't it. advise you to do that. You, you did not. Sorry, sorry, Michelle. Oh yeah, I was I was going to bring up, I was going to bring up that story, but no, I'd love to hear. I'd love it's to possible. see. Yeah, I'd love to hear the uh, the, cro- the cross analysis. I would say, which you guys probably already know, that in in some sense, your personalities are fairly similar. Mm-hmm. You and Christian. Um, I know I like the guy. 
you're, you know, you, you're, you might be the most decisive person I know as far as a client. And I would agree that, you, you know, you're one of my best clients because you know what you want and you're decisive, same, same traits. Um, I don't know that we've ever had a big blow up on a deal. Cause I think you, you really, I don't know where, where you got the ability to just roll with the punches, but you kind of have a Zen thing about you that your, your personal philosophy, I think might play into that, but you're like, you just always want to know, okay, what are my options? And then yeah. you're ready to make the next decision. Mm -hmm. And it's not like the deals we've done have been perfectly smooth, mm -hmm. but you roll with the punches, you stay powerful, you make decisions. And I love working with you, man. So, well, uh, I could, I could, right, that, that was a good review. Days. That was a great review, man. I could have got so, you a better deal so. on this house. So <laughs> sometimes you make mistakes. Maybe, maybe, no. maybe, maybe yeah. not. This is a pretty good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think it has to do with, you know, dealing with, you know, rejection on a daily basis, working in sales for 15 years, mm -hmm. right? Just understanding that you have to go through a lot of no's before you get to a yes. And the way you treat people matters. Like, I mean, a lot of my rough edges at 22 got worn off by 32 and now 37, right? I mean, it's the idea of I've dealt with people for a living. I've talked for a living. I've presented. So I've encountered a lot more opportunities for rejection and been the one selling. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I think I have a lot of empathy I have a lot of empathy for people who are trying to sell stuff. I do because it's a hard, it's the hardest thing. Literally, customer acquisition is the most important part of any business. You can have a great product, you can have great support, great customer service, but if you never have, if you don't ever sell anything, it doesn't matter, right? right? And so, like your business is only worth like the ability you have to go generate value and it translate into what people are willing to pay for. And so, I think hmm. that I, I look at things from a business perspective, and I I do think that I. Uh, I, I think outside of the box, but I want to I want to come to you with a with a an eighty percent fully formed plan, mm. um, or to say Todd, we need to act now. Let's do this, right? Which that house we bought online, I didn't know it was an online blind auction. I didn't know what a blind auction was. I didn't know there could be a blind auction because yeah. it because we went through eight or ten different you know offers being submitted over the of, before that one, and mm. uh, it was a down market, and, and I didn't know that you just submitted it. You, you submitted for us, and then 30 minutes later, they awarded it to me. Like, I don't know. It was, it was nuts. It was a crazy... It was a crazy, Those are rare. Yeah. It was a dilapidated deal, but... Um, that was Paris, right? Yeah, it was Paris. Yeah, that was yeah, fun. Yeah. 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 Well, but let's go back. I, 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 I mean, I've loved it. I loved what we've... Yeah, it's good. ...gotten it's good into stuff. here, yeah. and it's been great. And yeah, we you know we don't have to have a ton of structure on this thing, but but let's yeah. go back a little bit, because you kind of gave us... We didn't even get through the intro. Yeah. We never <laughs> got through your full background, because you have a lot of really interesting things that you've done. You kind of touched on student, student, student housing, yeah, student sure. rentals, and we dove into that whole rabbit hole, which was fun, but, yeah. but, but then you bought your duplex, and then, and then what, what, what happened from there? So then um, once we had kind of like, you know, I had a few years under my belt, and, uh, you know, we, <clears throat> we had success with the, the student housing model, both at the house that I started with, which I moved out from and got our duplex, and then with the duplex, you know, things were really working out well. Some, you know, family, friends, people who knew people I'd worked for started to want to have me manage for them. So that just kind of organically developed into the next chapter of scaling this thing. And that was still a student? Correct. Because, that, because that's the model I knew. And it had the potential to create a better income than just long-term housing. So if we could make it work well, it had more upside. 
And that's what we felt like we found is a model that worked for that. So we scaled that into, um, I think by the end, we had somewhere around 80 doors um, that I had under management. And I had to learn a ton about how to have that business at a little bit of scale like that. So, you know, software, how to use it well, you know, about all that stuff. Um, So it was a great experience, but I was so ready to be done with property management when I was, when I could get out of it because tell me a little bit about what made you ready to get out of it. So I think, and one thing I think is really interesting, we, we, we touch on this, just to give you a little bit of background on, you can invest a lot of different ways. There's a ton of ways to be in real estate, a ton of strategies, right? Yeah. But you have to really look at who you are as a person. What strengths do I have? What weaknesses do I have? What's the lifestyle that I want to live? And, and what are my financial goals, right? Mm-hmm. And so the, all of those things help, help influence and, and help you come to different conclusions about what strategies you want to pursue. And so obviously for you at, at this point in your life, maybe it wasn't always the case, but something changed or something you realized where you're like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to do something else. And yeah, tell us about that. Property management is brutal in the sense that this is an overly dramatic way of saying it, but essentially everybody hates you. That's, that's the position you end up in. And maybe not that strong, obviously. You hope not that strong. But n- nobody that you're having to do business with is ever very satisfied with you because y- you have two clients when you're a property manager, essentially. You have two customers. The main one should be the owner that you're managing for. That should be your priority. But if you don't treat your tenants like their customers and clients... It's probably not going to go very well. And those two parties that you're working, you you work for both of them, they have completely opposite interests. The owner wants more money for less investment into the property of, you know, whatever the the capital investment would be. And the tenants want to pay less for more amenities. Mm -hmm. So the interests of the two people you have to try to keep happy are completely at odds. And for, for, and you know, the schedule with property management is 24 yeah. seven. So you got to be ready to deal with really stressful situations. Um, you know, leaks. I mean, I had many, you know, I started not sleeping well in that season of my life because I might get a phone call at, you know, 11, 12 at night and it has to be dealt with right then. Otherwise it's going to create a bunch of property damage and I'm going to feel responsible. Now, eventually I might've scaled into a system that if that, if something like that happened, sorry, to the owner, but at least at that point in my life, it's like, I can't let anything slip. So I just think that for the amount of stress and the type of schedule you keep as a manager and the pay is just not much, it's just a really hard job. And I, I, I like respect and, you know, I'm so impressed with a great property manager. I think they're extremely rare and I understand why. So translating that into short-term rental op- operation, um, you would be the owner, so it would be, in a sense, or this is a question, like, on one hand, it's your bottom line, our own bottom line, right, of revenue versus 
guest experience and or what they're wanting like how do how short term yeah for short term yeah short term rental operators because because the clients right the clients are what the product that we're producing will uh will dictate a positive or negative review which which in and of itself goes forward and yet protecting the bottom line to stay sustainable is also there is there any correlation between that and, and what you were dealing with would you become the owner well, uh, hopefully I'm answering your question, but I do think like I've never managed a short term property management system. So I've had my own Airbnbs, um, but I've never been the property manager for an owner that's doing Airbnb. So I do think it's a different it's a different animal versus the student housing thing that I was doing. Um, but I'm sure there's a lot of carryover still. So. So the way I translate that, and, and, it, and it happened between my first my first house and my second house, both I think you were you were helping me with, the, the as a property management as a property manager of my own property, I my expectation should be set on how much I trust the house itself. You talk about what's going to break, that goes into how old's the roof, how old's the HVAC system, how old's this, how old's that, right? And if you don't own it, if you didn't decide what was renovated when and what needed to be updated. It's, it's like, yeah, I bought the property one right now, but I had a high level of trust in this, this particular property because the guy came from a family of builders, rebuilt it from the ground up for his children. And I'm like, okay, I trust, I trust the, the value of the work and the why behind it. I didn't have to tear it back to the studs, which I've done in a number of my houses, mm -hmm. because I wanted to have a high amount of trust that if someone else was gonna rent this out, that things weren't going to break at 2 a.m. Now, there's things that are always going to happen. I totally get that. But the trust level you have with the house is different when you're the owner versus you're a property manager. So. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Um, cool. So, <coughs> yeah. So you got out of property management. And, and what, what, what was your turn. Well, and hold on, you, you overlap property management and you bought a duplex and managed the other half of that duplex, correct? That was the same time? Yeah, so I think you stepped out for a second there, but yeah, so basically got the duplex, that was our second property where we did student housing. From there, after that model was kind of proven to be working well, family and friends and people that talked to people that I worked for started asking me to manage for them, and then we started looking for new property. Which initially, I, we had a realtor that we worked with because I wasn't licensed yet. Um, but uh, in 2012, um, well, I actually got my license in 2009, mainly so that I could be doing property management legitimately. Because technically, you can't manage property for somebody outside of your family unless you're licensed. So I, I didn't really realize all that when I started it. So I was kind of like riding in a gray area for a while. And at a, such a small scale, probably nobody would have cared. But I wanted to do it right. So that's initially why I got my, my real estate license. And it's the same license to do management as sales. Oh, wow. So basically, you know, a few years after that, um, I just decided that I should give it a try with sales. I have a good background in this now. I you know, have some good experience. And so 2012 is when I went full-time into real estate, um, doing sales and investing and management. When and you, that was a busy season. Were, were you, obviously in real estate, did you have any expectation taking your learnings from um, property management? Uh, obviously you did your own deals at that time. Yeah. Were you looking for short-term rentals as a, you, now you're an agent of your own deals? Were you student looking, rentals. You were looking for student rentals, okay. That's the model we were going on back then. Got it. Everything okay. we did, yeah. Cool. 
Yeah. So we had a really good run and then I think it was around 2017. So I'd probably been doing that for, I don't know how long that is since 2005. It's a long time, you know, over, over 10 years. Yeah. And, uh, I just had the opportunity with life circumstances. We bought a new property. It had an Airbnb on it that pretty well paid the mortgage. Um, I had some side income from investments or what have you, and also was making pretty good money in sales. And I just had, I took the risk to let go of that property management income. And I'm so glad I did because as soon as I was done, like I started sleeping better. Like it just, it just weighs on you. Um, so yeah, I couldn't have been happier to let it go, but I am thankful for the experience because I learned a ton through doing that. So I wouldn't like probably have changed it but I was ready to be done when it was time. Did you buy the, uh, the apartment complex during that time too? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yep. And so you had single family homes that were student rentals. You had your personal home with an Airbnb on it. You had experience of the duplex, which was you immediately house hacked and managed your own property there to rent out the other side. Yep. Uh, and, and during that time you bought an apartment complex or you were, you helped facilitate a deal and manage an apartment complex. Yeah, I worked for multiple owners yeah. and, you know, we had everything from an apartment complex to, you know, another sing- couple more single family homes, um, a fourplex. So there was kind of a, you know, a scattering of all different kinds of property, Yeah, but all with the same model. And we were trying to create a community effect where within each of those properties, within each of those units, and then citywide can we create a special community and we were able to do that it was pretty it was pretty cool it was pretty special so it was a unique model and it worked well for for the time that we did it yeah yeah that's awesome uh have you seen have you seen the market shift i mean talk talk to me about overall is it from an agent's perspective maybe um how far back do you want to go 2000 when when you when did you buy view 19 No, it was during COVID. So it was, it was, I think mm-hmm. it was um, July of 20 when I bought you. So it was that a, sounds right. Yeah, it was that That's summer. That was, I mean, when you mentioned, when you mentioned like your duplex was that deal for you mm-hmm. of like, hey, this really set me up, mm-hmm. you know, you was that deal for me. Cool. Um, yeah, and, and I think I think a lot of people can point back to a certain deal. It doesn't mean that other deals aren't great. I mean, every deal I've done, I've thought has been really good, and has been really good for me in different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, our first deal we did on Woodhill. Yeah, it's cool. You know, that was great. I mean, did it? It took, you know, it took you know ten years to really appreciate. Mm-hmm. You know, a ton, right? Because we bought it during a down cycle, but it was an awesome house and you know, really great price for what we got it at, and got a rip in. Know, rent to own deal on it and that's right that? That a little creative there yeah yeah are, so, are buyers coming to you and saying i want short-term rentals uh, is that is that one of the qualifications well, of a lot of people i'm gonna cut my feet right out of i'm cutting you out dude was, come on, on. Oh, there, i know i know I, you, you guys came in on me you're reminiscing know. Dennis. I know, I know. give us a moment bro. i know i know i know i got a list bro i got a list <laughs> right, Mark, let's, let's market no i would say let me just say one thing real quick because i would say like for Christian, I mean, that was like the most amazing run I've ever like been on with somebody. Like your run there, like, dude, you got some cojones, bro. Like he was. <laughs> we we did an he, episode on just how we went. You've heard the whole. Well, we, we yeah. documented it's episode two. Or I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. So you, so yeah, yeah. the audience knows, but 
that was really impressive and really fun, and I'm really stoked that it's worked out, you know, so well for you. So, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. It's a win-win. It was, so, so was Holly. <laughs> she's, yeah, we were just talking last, last night, she's just like, I can't believe I live in this house. Mm, yeah. I love that. That's yep. so cool. And I'm just like, That's so cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, sorry, Dennis. What was your? Well, oh, I, I want to know from an uh, you know from an agent's perspective, like you know, I'm sure in 2018, 19, 20, people weren't coming. They're probably coming to you like, hey, I want a single family home in this location, but they probably weren't saying I want it to produce income or I want it to be X, Y, or Z, right? So, as as the mar- as the from a agent's perspective, have the ask. Obviously, the market fluctuates. Right now, we're in a down downtrend. But are the asks of the people who are buying uh, have their qual- have their qualifications been changing? Uh, as far as trend data is concerned, have you based off the boom of Airbnb over the last three years? Are the in what sense? Like, are they coming and saying, "Hey, I, I'm looking for a house in this price point, but it, I want it to have a granny granny flat or an income producing or?" Okay, so yeah, I mean, the whole house hacking thing just went crazy in the last few years. Mm-hmm. I think Bigger Pockets was a huge piece of that. Okay. Um, I mean, when I started, Bigger Pockets didn't exist. And so. Uh, uh, I don't know what Bigger Pockets is. Oh, I'm surprised. So I it's. it's about it. I think you probably have. I believe. It might be good to check out what they did because I believe it is the, the biggest real estate podcast. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So bigger pockets, uh, yeah. They, they, you know, they, they're cool. They, they had a cool model. You have told me about similar it. to this. Yeah. Um, and not as big as us. They might have just been not this big. Okay. But I mean, they did okay. They did okay. They don't have eleven. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. But I think they made popular the concept of house hacking and that terminology. And I don't. I think it was. It was before COVID. Um, I don't remember exactly when it started, but multifamily housing became like the thing everybody wanted. Once it was kind of like became more in the culture, you know, awareness about like house hacking and what that can do for you. Yeah. Everybody wants that for the most part. I mean, yeah. most buyers, especially first time home buyers, they want that if they can have it. So any property that's two to four units or a single family with, um, an ADU or the potential for an ADU, which this guy, you know, crushed it on, yep. on creating ADUs out of, you know, detached garages or just the right situation. Um, something that had the ability yeah. to have an income piece of the house is like very attractive to, to everybody now. So yeah, we, I mean, we just talked about this, I think last week, like the concept of like, sure, the market's down, like, you know, and I'd be interested to hear like your, your perspective of just the ready market itself, like mm. where it's at, because we make, it, we make it really clear, hey, there is no national housing Sure. Right, like real estate's local. Every market's really local, so I do want to hear what you have to say on it. But our market, yeah. Um, but but I will say there's there's different properties that can still sell even at a premium potentially. Multifamily is still hot. Multifamily, is still and it hot. probably will be. And so, now. do you see like a, a house with an ADU? Like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I know that's not considered multifamily, but are you kind of putting it in that same category? It's got like income, additional income potential. It's going to help a lot. Yeah. In this market, in, in especially going into a potential recession, I think people are just even more thinking about how do I not just get myself a big yeah. mortgage? How can yeah, I at yeah, least yeah. offset that? Yeah, absolutely. Do you, and do you think the evaluation of the multifamily and the ADU and the house hacking is is where it needs to be? Like, because that's part of the reason we're at, right now. We talk about legislation and we talk about 
local uh, local zoning laws and the risks of, of short-term rental operating and whether you're going to do it legally or, or in the gray, like which we always say, hey, understand it, do it legally, get permitted, all that stuff. But the value, I don't, at least in our region, hasn't cut up from an evaluation standpoint, an assessment value of that. Do you see that changing? I don't know if you talk to a lot of appraisers or I know you know a couple of them. In what sense? As far as the value of the house, so I'll use this house as an example, uh, you know, 312000 but it has a detached garage. I spent a $60,000 turning that into an ADU. Mm-hmm. Is that, I mean, how much is it really affecting the value of the house? And as the market goes up, it should change, but are you seeing that as an agent perspective? As the market goes up, eventually, you're saying? I'm just, I'm already, because it's been popularized in the last three years, but mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't think the, the popularity of ADUs and house hacking has gotten to the evaluation or the assessment. Yeah, okay, I think yet. I know what you're saying. And yeah. part of the problem that we've, we've worked through, it's really frustrating. It's probably nationwide, but it's definitely local, is that appraisers do not give the same value to ADUs as they do to the main house. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it it's not something I would advise somebody to, if they're looking to come in and like flip a house yeah. with an ADU, yeah. it's probably not going to work out super well. Yeah. I mean, in, in 2020 and especially 2021, you couldn't do anything wrong. Yeah. So it probably would have worked for them, yeah. but it still wouldn't have been the best strategy. Um, eventually, the, the system will catch up and they'll be able to give, they should be able to give better value to ADUs. But currently, that is a problem with analysis and assessing those deals is you probably want to be in that for a long-term hold. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then someday when the system catches up, then you can probably get full value for the ADUs. We also talk a lot. On, I'm going to put your investor hat back on, not your Asian hat, but uh, Christian and I, we, we talk a lot about investing local versus investing um, outside of your town or county. And this is a good topic for you to talk. Mo- mo- mostly for quality, quality, of sh- quality assurance measures, right? right? Deep water hole. More appropriate. Yeah, all, all three of us, we've <laughs> all we've all taken adventures together to go and, and check out opportunities. Uh, you know, Christian, you, you talk about you're expanding your hour radius to ninety minutes potentially coming here shortly, but uh, hour <laughs> it's still like an hour. It's still actually like hour oh five one oh five to that property. Yeah. Maybe I'm in Cottonwood now, so it's an hour and a half. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, you're, right. out, you're out. You're outside property. Right. But I mean, as a property manager, if you need to be there, making sure it's a, a sustainable and accessible place for you to take care of business if you need to, right? Um, what What do you What do you say to it, someone who has some money and looking to either invest locally or remotely um, on on deals? And is that the only follow up? Any, I mean, we can talk about our, our journeys to Kansas City and other places yeah. to go look at stuff. But you have both owned locally and managed locally. And you also, as an investor, invested remotely and had to trust that management to somebody else. So talk to us first about um, remote investing mm-hmm. and having to lend that trust out to um, both an agent and also a property management crew and the pros and cons of that experience real quick. Yeah. Yeah, I think every every investor's um, like thresholds and appetites are going to be different. So I think that's important to factor in for sure. But I would say starting out, definitely you want to be local. So you have more control. I do think at some point, it could make sense to branch out beyond local. If you really know what you're doing, you know exactly how to vet out a great property management, you know, company in the area you're going to invest in. Yeah. That's the main thing. 
if you get that part right, like if I had a great property manager in a different area, I would have no problem investing. There's still the added risk that if something's going on, you can't be there if within house, an hour. If your house burns down? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for example, yeah, on Valentine's Day. On Valentine's Day. Yeah, that's not fun. Sounds, sounds spicy. Sounds, sounds spicy, so it sounds like. Things got hot, yeah. Um, yeah, I did have that happen. Um, so yeah, I... My, I, I just learned through that experience in Kansas City. Why, why uh, you invested in Kansas City? We, we sold, you sold the duplex, right? Sold the duplex. I had this grand plan. Um, I had met some people that had been investing in Kansas City for, I think, around 10 years. Yeah. Um, I just met him at a business conference and got to talking about it. And I started really, because, you know, I was in property management. So I knew what questions to ask. Yeah. I knew what software he used. I wanted to know how I had very specific vetting of, you know, live talking to this guy in real life. Yeah. How do you handle this problem when it happens? So and he had like amazing answers. You were de-risking the opportunity. Exactly. I was vetting it out. Yeah. yeah. Cause sure. I'm like, if, if the manager, like I said, if the property management people and system is good, I'm going to feel like I can do that. Yeah. And they, and they felt like they were, they had a great system. It was like bulletproof. I loved everything about it. So I decided to sell our duplex in Reading, and I did a 1031 exchange into these nine little little homes in the inner city of Kansas City. Ballsy. Ballsy. Talk about Christian has balls. I'm, I mean, <laughs> Would you, you call that, that Class D neighborhood? I was there with you. I walked through <laughs> that, these houses, right? I mean, it's a really interesting market. It like is. You, it is. You, you walk down the street in the daytime, and you're like, this is a lovely neighborhood. Very cute. Very quaint. Big, wide streets, yeah. beautiful trees, parks everywhere. Mm -hmm. And the feedback we got, I mean, the, the intel we got from you know the local experts we were working with is, yeah, it looks pretty. Uh, you wouldn't want to walk down the street at night, though. Wow. There's just stuff going on. So, I mean, it was charming. Like, buying those those nine houses, it was a lot of work, but they're cute. And on paper, the cash flow was insane. I mean, it was like 10 times better than what I was getting on my duplex mm -hmm. on paper. Sure. In real life, it didn't quite so, work out that So, way. question as an, as an ex-property manager at that time where you were exiting, uh, the conversion rate of, of selling one duplex for nine houses makes sense for a currency exchange. Uh, and, and then outsourcing the management of it sounds super romantic from what you've known here locally. Uh, if you were to do it again, would you have made that same bet in nine houses in Kansas City or would you have reinvested in Redding, California? Well, first house, what happened? I don't know. All right. I don't right. know. Yeah, I, mean, I know the end of the story. So, okay. And, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Tell, and, yeah, tell, I mean, yeah, yeah. You know better than anybody yeah, yeah, yeah. that, you know, the night that we got to Kansas City and went to that baseball game. Yeah. Remember that? Oh, yeah. That was really fun. It was awesome. Yeah, it was amazing. I found out that basically the property management team had had a falling out. And so I was already like we're deep in this process and um, they had had a falling out and they, there was going to be no property management company for me to we <laughs> close on these deals. We were already on the ground, on the ground because they told us, hey, come, they told us, come on out. Let's show you around. Let's build a relationship. Like they were, we were on like a tour yeah. for them to sell their services and also some of their portfolio. You houses. already owned the houses. I didn't no, no, own no, no, them, but yeah. I had a lot of momentum going yeah, yeah, in that yeah. direction. Getting ready to sell my duplex. And then 1031 and, too. Yeah. So I, I, I had a decision to make. I could have either leaned out and just decided to pay the taxes um, yeah. on the duplex yeah. or take a risk and go for it. So basically, you remember there was a guy named John who was the biggest investor 
of that property manager's company. And he was going to create as a solution for himself, his own property management system. So I talked to him. I, I liked him a lot. I liked the system he was going to create. And I just made it, made a judgment call and decided I'm going to go for it. And I love, again, I love the cajones on him, dude. I love it. I love it. I, you know what I said? No, not for me. <laughs> That's called smart. Um, no, I mean, again, that one, I would say if I could go back and do it again, I would not have done that. That, that would be true. But that's not to say I didn't learn a ton through yeah. that process. Yeah. So. so So just give us a, a quick kind of snapshot, you know, kind of what went wrong in that process and, and kind of focusing more on the investing remotely, some of the challenges with, you know, property management and such. Almost everything, honestly, almost everything that could go wrong went wrong. And I'm on my, I think, sixth property manager, not because wow. I'm picky and I know what to look for. I'm just, I've been surviving out there. So, you so know, you're, you're still in vet, you still have houses. I got time. three left out there. Um, you sold the other six? Yeah. And I actually made really good money on those. And it's kind of cool because when I bought out there originally, I was told by these investors, don't expect any appreciation on these houses. They're at the very bottom of the market. <clears throat> They're just cash flow machines. Um, they're not going to appreciate ever, but the nice thing is they're not going to go down in value either because they're already at the bottom. And I was like, that works great. I just want cash flow, so I'm good with that. Yeah. Thankfully, the market got so hot yeah. um, you know, in the last few years that I was actually able to make a lot of money on selling a few of those, which kind of was redemptive for me. Sure. Definitely helped make it feel a little better. But I'm still, right now, I'm going through multiple situations out there that are very stressful. Nothing like I dealt with throughout, you know, the years prior. I had, um, I mean, probably my most exciting, dramatic situation was, uh, I think I'd only owned this house for a few months and woke up to the news that it had completely burned up. <laughs> I looked, I could see, it was actually on, like, the news. Like, I had, like, a video. The fireman had, like, punched a huge, you know, hole through the, the roof. <laughs> I'm like, I can't believe this is real. <laughs> this, this is incredible. Yeah. Um, ironically, I mean, that was that was extremely stressful. Obviously, maybe my most profitable situation the, out the, there. The, the insurance. Just the way it happened to work out was really lucky that I got a really big payout, and they considered it a total loss, and it was extensive damage, but it wasn't a total loss, practically speaking. So, you know, what I got for it, uh, as far as from the insurance company as a check and how much we were able to get it fixed for, there was a pretty good arbitrage there. Awesome. And I wouldn't ever want that to happen. Yeah, it's yeah. It's extremely stressful, but I did make a bit of money on that, so it was kind of cool. That is very cool. And, and also, too, it, the origin of it was a 1031, and yeah. you were able <laughs> to technically space out the sale of, of those dollars over multiple years right. to sell it, which, so from a tax perspective... It worked out pretty well. It my worked accountant, out okay. My right? accountant yeah. said, I'm probably not even going to feel that, if at all, because yeah. of spreading out those, those yeah, sales. Yeah, that's cool. And I've heard since then, and this is a little just you know tip, is it's not worth doing a 1031 in most cases unless it's over a million dollars. Why? Because of just how it can be difficult to do it, first yeah. of all. There's a lot of pressure around making 1031 mm -hmm. work. You know about that. <laughs> you know about that. Just went through it. Um, and, <laughs> and then exiting them 
you know, depending, I mean, if you're limited on timing and ways you can exit them without taking a big tax hit. So for the trouble of going through them and the limitations that they create on your portfolio and timing, I've just heard in general, it's kind of a rule of thumb is it might not be worth doing it unless we're talking about like a million dollars at least. And so then it, so it's, if it's under a million dollars in proceeds of the sale to pay the taxes, take the cash. That, that's, the, that's the recommendation? It's kind of a, Gen, a general, general trend recommendation? This is what I've heard. And not, I could kind of see why. This is not financial true. advice. This is not financial okay. advice by any means. So that's one perspective on okay. 1031s. Interesting. Um, you know, I didn't take that approach and it worked out for me. So I think, again, every case is unique and every strategy is unique. But... It's a rule of thumb to okay. consider. So now having invested remotely and you've invested locally, will you invest remotely again? I felt sober about it the first time. And so that did help in the sense that when I got burned, I knew that was a possibility. Um, when I literally got a house burned. Um, <laughs> Not fun. Would I do it again? <laughs> would I do it again? I mean... I would need a recovery period to probably branch out and try that again. I mean, I just told you one story, but I'm not joking. For about three years, every single month, I had things sort of like that going on. I had drug houses that were having. I had uh, murders happen around my houses. I had uh, prostitution, literally prostitution home. Horrible things that we, we had, you know, forced entry and found... I mean, things that could make me cry. I mean, like terrible stuff going on in the house I own. I mean, I had multiple properties completely vandalized. They would strip the wire out for the copper of my whole house. Uh, thousands of dollars here, thousands of dollars there. You know, house burned down, flooding, um, sewer lines breaking, um, everything that could go wrong. I think I, I almost experienced out there. So if I did it again, this is one thing that I would do differently. I love to death the guy that got me into Kansas City, um, buddy of mine. I don't, we don't need to name names, but love the guy to death. Um, but no. one piece of his advice that I think was not good, he could have been right, but I wouldn't do it this way again, was he encouraged me for these types of properties, and we were trying to get really good deals. He's like, don't do inspections. It's not what you do on this type of property. If you tell the investor you're trying to buy it from that you're going to do inspections, they're not going to want to sell to you. So he's like, we'll walk through it with the contractor. And if it's good enough, we'll call it good. And there was a lot happening and there was a lot moving. And I, I, I didn't feel great about doing it that way, just especially my nature. I want to know everything I can about the property for peace of mind. But I took the risk on that step too. And we bought them without getting inspections. And that definitely came back to bite me. So if I ever do, again, invest, especially outside of the area, I'm going to probably double down on inspections. I want to know everything about that house because I have a lot less ability to control maintaining it. So I want to know everything about it. So that would be one tip is if you're going to invest outside of your area, I would double down on inspections. I mean, it sounds like one thing that's just really interesting as I listen to your, your story here about investing in Kansas City is like one of the things that I really like about local investing is I feel like I have the competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. um, it's not just about control, but it's about the competitive advantage of I know this market. I know these streets. Mm -hmm. I know every nook and cranny. 
of it. And, and you, you know it better than me being a real estate agent and driving these streets and knowing these houses. You will drive by lots of houses. Like I've been in that one. I've been in that one. Mm-hmm. I've been in that one. Mm-hmm. And so, so, but when you go to another market, even if you've done your due diligence, I mean, you go, well, you went on the ground, which some remote investors never even show up to and get to know a city or yeah. get to, you know, actually walk the houses you were walking in and walk well, yeah, them um, by them, you know, sight unseen, yeah. you know? So you actually did that step, multiple mm-hmm. trips there, yeah. um, you know, w- which a lot of people don't do. And then the second thing is relationships. Mm-hmm. It's like, it, it's, it's, do you have the necessary relationships to, to help you kind of build your team, which you were, which you were doing, but then also to help you get out of a bad situation, mm-hmm. you know, when you find yourself in. Absolutely. And, and so like having some of that relational like equity yeah. in your own local environment or within a reasonable reach to me is just so invaluable that I'm like, even if there's like, you know, I mean, because I've, I've, I've considered, I've, t- I've told you, I've considered going, you know, five, six hours away from here. Mm-hmm. And that's the part that even scares me the most. Yeah. Is like, hey, I just don't have like the kind of the institutional knowledge built up, like of not of just this community, but of the people mm-hmm. and the connections to like get myself out of a bad situation. 100% agree. So I, I honestly, at this point... I mean, everybody has different <clears throat> risk tolerances, and I think there might be certain personalities that they could have rolled with what I went through in Kansas City, and it wouldn't have affected their sleep at night. I have heard as a rule of thumb, you know, that is a threshold for you to figure out as an investor is if it affects your sleep at night, you're too far, you know, it's too much risk for you. And I found out when I was in Kansas City in that market, that was too much risk for me. It really affected my sleep at night. So some people could probably roll with that. Maybe they'd be fine. Wouldn't affect their sleep. I do feel like now to go outside of your area, I'd probably only want to do it with like a big group, like a big apartment complex, something like that, that just felt a lot more stable. What what about, I mean, uh, you you recently were, you know, aligned to a vacation home, right? So technically vacation homes are outside of the area, but the purpose of them is different, right? And what, so, what are you talking about right now? Uh, I, I mean, so you're talking about not investing remotely, uh, but that's from an investment mindset. I said a lot of people do invest remotely from a vac- from a vacation rental. Oh, standpoint, sure, right? sure, sure. That's different. Yeah. It's different. It's a different and I would think mind, that would probably mindset, it'd right? probably be a lot safer to do that. I would I would think. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Okay. I mean, and definitely not being in the inner city. Of a large metropolitan area, that, be, I think that helps. Yeah. Well, that, that I mean, that's a different question of like class of property. Too, Absolutely. Right. Like, There's a double whammy to be outside of my area in the inner city. Yeah. yeah. In a rough neighborhood, maybe they're maybe they're nice little homes, maybe class C, class B mm-hmm. homes. They, they were described to us as this isn't the ghetto, which we drove through. But it's about one step up from there. So whether you call that D plus, C minus. Sure. Looked pretty, but it's rough. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Which, which, you know, I, I, we, we just talked about this a couple episodes ago, you know, typically as investors get older and more seasoned, right? Like in their approach, they start to like, I only want class A properties. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm even like realizing that myself, you know, but, but when you're younger and you're like getting in and you're hustling, you're like, well, one, I can't afford a class A property. Yeah. It's not going to cash flow as well for me. Yeah. Yep. Right. And no, I'm trying to hustle. Yeah. I'm trying to take something, refurbish it, 
you know, build it up, yep. you know, get, get some good cash flow, force depreciation, you know, sell it at a premium, right? Yep. Or yep. hold it, right? You know, so you're going to hustle, but you're willing to take on some class C's, some class B's, maybe even a class D, you know, but then there's also, there's also pain with that, you know, pain with Absolutely. potential tenants or in our case, guests, you know, you're going to have a lower level kind of like lower economic status guest mm. in a short term mm-hmm. rental. Mm-hmm. Right, if it's not as nice of a property, um, but then you're also gonna have more issues just in terms of like maintenance, right? And, and there's just more things that you're gonna have to deal with. So, so yeah, I mean, I don't even know if we touched on this, but Todd, Todd and I actually, and Todd and your dad Ray, we own a property together in Mount Shasta, and technically, I'm Todd's property manager now. Mm. I guess that's true. I am. God bro. bless you. <laughs> we're taking good t- care of you, though. Tables have turned. Tables have turned. Yeah, yeah. so we're, we're partners on an eight-unit lodge in Mount Shasta that, to me, is still local. I consider that local. Yeah, it's an hour away. You that's can drive my, there if you need to. That's my. We drive there regularly. Yeah. for for work. Um, that's not an uncommon thing to to rip up there for the day. Yeah. But um, so now you're you're kind of on. You know, you, you've owned, you know, your own Airbnb as like a guest house. Mm. But this is like, this is, this was the first kind of like commercial, like short-term rental unit that you've been an owner of, right? Correct, yep. And, and tell us a little bit about that experience. Like what made you want to get into that? Um, you know, get into that originally and mm. and, and, and how's it been? Yeah. And, and, and maybe I need to get another rating here. Because a property, property manager rating. rating. What's my I property like, manager like rating? I think we've done enough on, like on that. that. <laughs> I think we've done enough yeah. there. Maybe, maybe. Um, how did I get into that? Gosh, I, you, need, you, I need to rewind. You, you probably showed them the property. That's probably why. Well, yeah. that, I mean, definitely yeah. it wasn't intentional from the start. I was showing you property. You, you, you had been doing this for a little while. You had yeah. kind of created a model that you were liking for, for short-term rentals. I had watched you grow your business and be very successful. I liked the model. I liked the style of how you did the, the renovations and stuff. So I think it was center, center street house is when you guys rocked it. So I judge time by what house you guys buy. <laughs> well, Butte was Butte was incredible. Butte was, I mean, the, Butte the buy was and, and then the product oh, at the oh, end. Yeah. I mean, that was oh, yeah. that was a big Killer. turnaround. Killer center was cool. Yeah, um, yeah but concrete countertops. This <laughs> season of this countertops. property hit the market <laughs> in like I think was it early before COVID? I know it was twenty twenty. No, it was right? during COVID. Twenty one. I didn't even start my. No, it was twenty twenty. Started. Okay. Just, it was 2020. It was we. It was pretty early in 2020. I think yeah. maybe in March. So yeah. maybe right when COVID yeah, had kind of started. On, it was March. No, it was March of 2021. Mm-hmm. That's what I was saying. Oh, that's right. Sorry, 2021. It's yeah. 2023 now. It is. Yeah. My, my, my mind's out. No, no, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think so I think we saw it in March. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's right. And what was nice is you know 2021 was an insane year in real estate but we we saw this before that happened in fact i think maybe the market had slowed down in that moment because immediately when covid hit everything kind of froze for about a month there so we went and looked at this property it looked really sexy and fun you know this cool cedar lodge it was like very romantic and i knew mount shasta you had had good success in in mount shasta and you kind of knew um, that market and you had a good model. So basically, you know, you, you, are we getting into this whole story? But you know, I, 
um, I was kind of tracking with the momentum you had created in your short-term housing business and specifically like vetting out the Mount Shasta market, which had been crushing at that point. And so I think when we were on the, the, the drive back, I mean, first of all, again, like I said, Christian's very decisive. So I remember when we got in the car after looking at it, we were starting to drive away. You're like, I want this property. Well, I think Which I've heard him say that before, and yeah. it always happened. So yeah. I was like, "This is exciting." Well, <laughs> if, if, if my memory serves correctly, Christian, you were in a capital crunch at that time too, right? Yeah, totally. I, I was tapped. Yeah, I mean, I was pretty much tapped. Like I had Butte Street. I I I kept re- refinancing and HELOCing properties to just kind of keep getting cash out. Yeah. As I forced appreciation and the market was appreciating, but I was I, I didn't have enough. At that point, I had I had an, I had some, but not enough to purchase this 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 property for for the price point. And and you you were going. I felt like you were ready to let it go because you couldn't figure out financing. You're right on this border of like no 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 no. no, no. I we, lied. Like I said, Dennis. Once he locked onto it, it he was going to find a way. It happens. So, All right. I mean, I think on the drive back, you were like just processing with me, like, yeah. okay, so how am I going to get funding? For this because there's options and you're ready to get creative and hustle I think on that part and it just occurred to me I'm like I think I have access to some resources and some cash right now that we could partner up if you want you know I was hoping you'd say yes and, <laughs> and so that's I think yeah. how that how that happened was I was able to come in as a um, you know a capital partner basically and I knew Christian would be able to just you know do everything that we need to do to make it successful up there and uh, it's turned out pretty great especially especially for what's happened in the airbnb market in the last year i feel like we're relatively doing well up there you can speak to that better than me but it seems like it's going well well i mean you you guys you guys definitely hustled hard and you hit some breaks right i mean meaning with zone with zoning you guys hit a break with zoning up there that was fascinating Uh, the the fact that we have another another partner friend who has developed up there that's developed relationship with the city I mean, you, you guys had some lucky breaks, too, that could have made it a lot harder. Uh, but you guys were willing to jump in and figure it out. Uh, and you got, and you, you both had some general knowledge that added to putting the deal together. It was very unique, I would say. It really was. And there was three times that I thought that deal was dead. Sure. And it came back to life three times. And then we closed it. Yeah, so it's kind of like Jesus. Um, the Jesus property. It sort of is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, a little like rustic on the outside, but gold on the inside. Oh, yeah. There we go. Here we go. It's a manger, but yeah. it's a divine. Okay. Yeah. Right. yeah, absolutely. But, but, <laughs> but yeah, I think one thing that, that, that stands out to me about this property, um, besides the fact that it's beautiful, and if you're ever looking for a good place to stay in Mount Shasta, come to the Base uh, Camp Lodge, baby. There we yeah. go. There um, we go. But, but sure. one of the things that, was, that, that I love about this property and about the journey of this property, because one of the points that where it was dead, it was, these, these yeah. three spots, was uh, related to zoning. Yeah. And, and we've talked a lot about uh, zoning uh, usage on this podcast and, you know, engaging your local government and, and permits. Yeah. And so I, you know, and, and regulations, mm-hmm. right. And short-term rentals. But, but, what, but what we were trying to do with this property, which, which I really like this model. It's, it, it requires a lot more leg work, but essentially trying to find like hybrid properties mm-hmm. that, that aren't short-term rentals. So they don't fall into like the short-term rental permit category 
they fall into something else, mm. but they look like short-term rentals. Mm. Meaning it's more of a like a full-service unit with a kitchen and a bath, right? It's not just a hotel room, but it, it could fall into something different. So this property was being used as an apartment, but we made the argument and first we're told no by the county, the county planning department, that, hey, this historically was you know, an inn, uh, a short-term rental lodge, lodging in, you know, with the restaurant and with the bar. And that's what it was built as before there was ever such a thing as zoning right. in Siskiyou County, where this property is. And so we made that argument and, you know, originally we're told, you know, pound sand, but we kind of like, we're like, okay, are we going to let this go? Or are we going to keep fighting? You know, we dig into the county ordinances. We dug into the code, the California code. Yeah. And we just kept pushing. What are my options? Yeah, no. I mean, we just kept pushing, what which, yeah. you know, at, at some point it seemed like, well, this isn't going to go anywhere, you know? And then the magic word emerged. <laughs> Boarding house. Boarding house. There we go. <laughs> that was the key that unlocked that, yeah. that stage. Yeah. And so eventually we found this we found this part in the code that based off the zoning. Hello. Right. The yeah. zoning that is in. We educated the county. That's right. Commercial neighborhood is the say, zoning of this property. I'd say you, you write a renaissance to that county. <laughs> Absolutely. So, like that, that. We actually, yeah, there's this, this, this loophole in yeah. there yeah. of you're allowed to have a boarding house. Mm-hmm. You know, from this back in the day, you know, type of property that essentially house houses short term workers. Right. And that's what we're doing. Yeah. yeah. We're just That was amazing. That was incredible. I've never seen that work and before. So, so you guys were were agent, investor, owner, builder, and property management are on this property, right? You were, yeah. you were all in house. Were, were, yeah, all in house. Yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah, so we yeah, so you know, Todd was the agent on the deal. Um, you know, we had a lot of legwork we did, you know, much more involved, you know, he was also involved as an investor. Mm-hmm. And so we were doing a lot of conversations, mostly with the county and then inspections and such that, you know, went above and beyond what an agent would do, you know, but you got paid as an agent as well on that, that you know, for the fee on it. And then your dad was just more of a strictly passive investor. Um, so he, you know, he was, he was, he's always jumped down on calls with us and has been really involved. I don't mean passive in the negative way, but like from management, from a management standpoint. And then, yeah, I managed the, the oversight of the build, but you know, they both put in their sense and Todd kind of leads that part from their family side. And then, um, yeah, I mean, every once in a while, you know, I, we property management, Holly and I are, are, our property management company that only manages properties we own. Um, is the way we do it. Um, Which is a conversation around structure, too. I have a question for Todd. Todd, was this, besides investing with family, kind of, uh, was this your first partner investment that you did? No. No, okay. Do you have any do you have any learnings or advice from, you know, partnering, doing co-investing? Sorry, you said besides partner? investing with family. Bes- no. bes- uh, besides, yeah. So I, I know that you... Technically, I think um, I have not done that besides with family. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, I'd say that that was a, a step for you to right. a new territory, for sure. For sure. right? And, and you, you, we, we have 15 years of relationship, so there is a lot of trust built up. But any, any learnings from your perspective of co-investing with people that you're not related to? Or, or related to, could be a perspective too, right? So, I mean... You, we're not related. We could, yeah, no, no, <laughs> technically. Um, gosh, I mean, I, I'm sure we could 
we could have a, a bunny trail on that. Um, but to me, it's been great. I mean, I think it was definitely stressful. I think it is fun to, to kind of go through some of that with other people. Yeah. You're not just doing it alone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there is a value there, but it comes with the cost that everyone has different opinions, different perspectives, different ways they think, you know, they want to do things. So, you know, I expected that. I've always heard that about partnerships that they're difficult and it's like a marriage to some extent and, you know, it's stressful. So we've been through that with this, but I think I was expecting to have that. And I think, um, you know, we've worked on having good communication and we've had some hard talks and it's worked out. In my opinion, you can ask Christian if he feels this way, but I think it's been great. Have you invested with anyone uh, other than Christian since that? That's not related to you, your family. No. Okay. High bar. Smart. I like it. Yeah. No. You I got think... some for me, Dennis? No. <laughs> I mean, I'm open. I got. Let's do it. I'm always down. Yeah. I, I, we haven't done it. We haven't done an episode yet, actually, on on partner partnerships. I think we should. Well, it's part of, part of part of creative capital, right? For sure. Right? Yeah, I but think it's, it's really interesting. There's an EQ component there, and self self awareness. There's a lot of stuff that goes into making that commitment. Uh, but you were, you were both very seasoned investors in, in your own outright first. So the expectations you guys had were definitely different than someone starting the journey. So. Well, and I did want to say that and mention, you know, part of why this has been successful is that I think it was brilliant that when we were analyzing the property and doing projections, I mean, especially in that area, numbers were crazy on income. But Christian had the foresight and the wisdom to make our projections not based on what was happening in 2020 and 2021 with Airbnbs, but what is a reasonable rate that when we're not in a crazy hyped up market, we could get. So we did our analysis with conservative numbers like that. And I'm really thankful we did because I think we're more kind of in that type of space now with what we've been getting. Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. And that's definitely a, a great point you, you bring up. And a, you know, a good little quick tip here is like when you're underwriting a property in a deal, like like don't try to inflate it. Like under undervalue it to a degree if you're going to yeah. go either way or just accurately value it conservatively. Mm-hmm. What can I get yeah. in this market? And there's some really good data out there. I mean, there's there's some great data you can find. Um, you know, from different software companies that, that can provide you, like what's a good average ADR for this market, average yeah. daily rate, and what's good occupancy. Or if you have history yourself, you know, or have friends or people who have history in that market, they can tell you, you know, mm-hmm. what those numbers are, which gives you more confidence. Absolutely. You're not just pulling it out like, eh, I think I could get 200 a night. It's like, eh. and, and, and It's the, good work to do to get those, those data points. It's know? important. Yeah. And, and you've kind of downsized your market too. Mount Shasta is a lot less people, a lot less houses, a lot less total accessible market um, inventory. So, I mean, the more you guys continue to invest up there, you technically have a, a higher degree of influence over the market as you guys continue to, to do that. Well, right? and you also have a, a higher degree of precision, I would say. Yeah. Like on the deal I'm doing right now that Todd's our agent on, I, I'm actually using the property that we own together mm. as our comp. It's pretty cool. You know, it, it's like a, it's the best comp I could find, mm. honestly. And I have to flight, slightly equate for, they're, in, they're, they're like t- you know, 15 minutes apart. So in, technically in different cities, but like. Not a perfect comp. Yeah, it's not that perfect comp. One. So I have to, you know, and they're slightly different properties, but they're both even cedar sided, you know, and, right. and similarities. But that's an interesting perspective, too, on how to 
it, how to differentiate your buy box, right? And we're, we're already thinking, you know, micro hotels are, are a different buy box to do, but like you just differentiate yourself and the only thing, the only other comp you could find was something you own, it increases your likelihood of success too. Imagine if there are only three other comps and they're all things that you own, you're technically increasing your level of success and also differentiating yourself from any other buyer that can come in with the same amount of perspective and or assurance that it's gonna crush. Totally, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm in the cabin hotel game, is what I say now, yeah. you know? And yeah. I love it. I, I think, to get back to that partner thing, yeah. you know, there's a couple of things I would say on it. Um, I think um, one thing that's really important for any kind of partnership that you do, because these are stressful things. We've talked about, today, on this episode, we've talked a lot about the stressful nature of real estate. Yeah. You know, when you're in, like, you're, you, these are some of the biggest investments, purchases you'll ever make. They're a roller coaster ride all along the way um, and can continue to be even into ownership. You know, you're talking about property management and dealing with things on a property. Like we still deal with things, you know, mm -hmm. I get threatened to get sued every once in a while, you know, by a guest who's like, this wasn't true, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, all right, let's go. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, Amazing. there can be kind of ongoing, you know, stress to it. And so one thing that's just, like, really good is, like, you and your partners, like, better have a really good, like, working relationship. Um, an ability to, like, communicate together and work through tough times. You're going to feel different things. There's no way around that. Um, you're going to have different perspectives on things. But can you talk through them? Can you work them out? And I think that's one of the things I've really valued about our partnership with me, you, and your dad is, is you guys are great communicators, hmm. you know, really good communicators. And I, and I honestly think better than me, um, you, know, you know, willing, you know, really good at listening to people, like hearing them out, processing it, working it out, hmm. working it through and kind of coming back and like, okay, how do we work this out? Yeah. You know, and that's been, I think, cause we have dealt with tough stuff and, and, but that component of it has been, I think the saving grace of our partnership is like, as long as we have that as like the foundation, mm -hmm. sure, stuff stuff's gonna happen. People are gonna think different things about it, but if we can, if we have that, then we can always you know work through it. Yeah, and it helps that that's what I do every day. Totally, just have to work through that process and find a way to try to get to as much rationality as we can. You so know. just don't find a real estate agent. Go invest with your real estate agent. Oh, dude. That's, is that, the, is that not the, a bad that idea we're leaving, that we're leaving you with? I don't know. I, 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 I think there's also a call out to. Get some, get some skills and some tools for yourself to deal with the stress that will inevitably come with this type of commitment or investment, right? So you, you, you've kind of created a muscle for yourself as an agent to let people be who they are, to let Christian blow off steam, to let people process verbally or emotionally. That, that's a muscle you built. And you and your dad and Christian, you, like, you all have like self-regulation tools, emotion regulation tools. Like You guys have invested in yourself in a way that's, that helps in business, helps because we're, you know, usually business has to do with people as, as well. But I mean, this idea of um, stress reduction and, and risk reduction, not just in the deal, but if we're gonna become short-term rental operators, there's always gonna be drama, whether it's guests or with your stuff, and, and dealing with people, guest relations, etc. like that has as much to do with me as it does with somebody else, right? And so do I have enough tools to reduce my, not just liability, but reduce my stress level so I can sleep well at night, mm -hmm. so I can be the best version of myself, so I can properly manage and create a great product 
with excellence. But I mean, Todd, like you're, you've decided an approach on your real estate agency, but you, you're coming at it from uh, some muscles and some tool sets that are, that are not necessarily industry tools. Not, this isn't, you weren't taught this in realtor school, right? No. But but you're not taught much in realtor school. That <laughs> much, but you got to pass a test. But our, our, our your differentiator is your ability to connect with people. It yeah. is in your way to work through those emotions internally first before I talk to my partner, whether my spouse partner or my business partner or my investment partner. Like those are personal tools. Those are that's a per, you know. There's a saying that you know most problems are are, are personal problems. Most problems are character problems, right? Mm-hmm. But that's a whole side of investing, of dealing with the stress. Now, usually when there's more margin, which comes with money, it's, it, it, it's alleviated somehow. Because if you have enough money to deal with most problems, it's not that big of a problem. But there's a, there's a personal component to being an investor, whether it's a short-term rental or not, or dealing with people. That is a separate, it's a separate thing to this idea of having a profitable business and sleeping well at night, I think it's twofold. It, it is IQ in business, but it's also emotionally having those tools personally. Sure, I would tend to agree. Okay. Yeah, and I, I would say too, um, I think one thing that was helpful as far as partnership was we did get some stuff in writing. And the reason I think that can be helpful, you can probably overdo that and like have to iron out every single you know possible contingency on like a legal contract. We didn't do that, but we did, we had enough, I think, soberness about a partnership that we did get a lot of things ironed out legally, contractually about our partnership. And then we also just did a lot of like, let's at least get it on an email, what our expectations are. Mm -hmm. And that's so helpful because then in the heat of the moment, when there's more emotion and everyone has all this stuff at stake and they don't, they can't remember what they said six months ago, or they think it's one thing, or, you know, I think it's another it's really helpful if you have at least an totally. email because then you can go like, oh, I did say that. And it's I think it's so funny how <laughs> that's come up. Right. Like there's been times it's like, no, that didn't happen. And then someone's like, I will forward you the email <laughs> when you said this. And it was like, ah, okay, I guess we're doing that. Yeah. <laughs> it just helps. So I, I, I've gone a step further. I probably started when I was in the Paris house and it was, um, there was a, a big tree that was overhanging my pool. And I had to go talk to the neighbor mm. and say, hey, I'm going to trim this tree, but it's in your yard. And I just want to make sure I get your permission. And for some reason, I said, like, get your phone out and just say, hey, can we record this interaction and what I'm agreeing to, what you're agreeing to. And so I've done it, whether I'm buying stuff off Craigslist, I bought it for the verbal of this house, right? And say, hey, let's just document. This is the date. This is what we're agreeing to. Do you agree? I agree. And so it timestamps the video, mm. and you have something that is irrefutable, right? So it's, even though it's not legal, it's super compelling if you ever need it. So Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. It's creative. Negotiating hack. <laughs> I like it. So, yeah, I just want to kind of wrap up this episode. Yeah, thanks, Todd, for, yeah, bud. for joining us. It's been awesome. Great work. And I think really fun, really good content, yeah. I think, for our listeners been really fun to just chat and and i'll say so so you know you know i'm going through a 1031 exchange and you know this is with a different property i own some different partners and at first as we were out there shopping for um you know kind of the types of properties we were looking for i was out there acting as our de facto real estate agent Mm. and i'm out there negotiating and i'm i've learned through this process just like how challenging that can be and even just a lot of the parts you're talking about today, just dealing with like 
the nuances of, 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 of engaging with people and different expectations and kind of the highs and the lows and the emotions and all of it. And so it's been, you know, I think I told you this, I'm like, man, I have even so much more respect for that side of things mm-hmm. now that I've even tried to do it, you know, on my own. On deals and and how intense that can be and 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 we ended up bringing you in, you yeah. know, on like another property we were looking at, right? And it looks like we're going to close on, which I mean, I'm so glad you've been there with us because this one's been intense. It's been a fun yeah. one, yeah. <laughs> but it's it's yeah, I just yeah, I really appreciate you and it's been really fun working with you over these years and you know, cheers to many more. Yeah, hopefully, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah Todd, want to give you the you're line. Great, you're great at what you do, man. Thank you. You're really awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciate yeah. that, man. High bar. High bar. And and we got our ratings today, Christian. So as, uh, as clients of Todd's. And so hopefully we're up, oh, on, the, up, up on the leaderboard. But Seriously, high bar. And we're decisive and we're... Well, and you know what you we want. Know what we, we, know want. We, want. we know what we want. I'll take it. And we're opinion. I think it's nice way of saying we're opinionated. I'll take it. Yeah, if any realtors are listening, yeah, that's what yeah, you yeah, want yeah, in the client. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Todd, Let's help the realtors out. Todd, any, any, any last words? I mean, really open up. It can be about the market. It can be about... Being an investor, being about um, short-term rental operating, whatever you want. Any last thoughts that you had and didn't get a chance to to flush out that you wanna you wanna talk? Nothing that's really pressing on my mind, but I've really enjoyed the conversation with you guys and hanging out. You so. you asked us why are we doing this before we started? Why are we doing this? And um, and I think it is like partially it's just to com- commemorate like hanging out. And talking about stuff that we love and that brings us life, because we're going to do it anyway, mm. and it may as well have a have a record of it, um, and hopefully people get some benefit out of it, right? And we're and we know we're just you know a couple small portfolios in a small town in Northern California, um, and you know we're we're totally open for opportunity, but I think collectively our group of people have made a pretty big impact on our small city by choosing to stay in Reading, even though you live in Cottonwood. Choosing to stay in our area, area. invest in our area, right, and take ownership of our city. I mean, you started off the story early on of of what if there was a vision as a property manager to create a small little culture that could transform a city, and that's a that's a pretty pretty cool vision. And I think our group have strategically stayed and strategically invested and say, hey, what if we could change or what if we could create the culture that we want our kids to live in Mm -hmm. in our own city? And I think that collectively that was all of our hearts in doing this. And we all kind of found our own expressions and our own pathways, not just mm-hmm. how we make money, but what we invest in to build our own portfolios. And I'm just stoked to see them, all the crossovers that we've been able to do to bring each other in, help each other out, help each other make money. Some of my best days are either getting my friends jobs or deals or having them avoid bad jobs and bad deals. And you help people avoid bad deals and you help them get great deals that are totally affect their life. And so you're in a, you're definitely in a lifestyle business of changing people's mm-hmm. lifestyles, but collectively as the heart of our, I think our collective friend group, um, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, all of our net worths have like 20 X since we started hanging out together and really focusing on what is the vision for the city that we have? If we're going to be around here, let's build it and let's govern the culture that we want. Let's create it to be as awesome as possible. And so uh, I think we all share that. And I think this podcast is an expression of, kind of that same heart of making sure that our city's cool mm. and that we are, uh, we're empowering people that powerfully want to build where we're at. And wherever that is for our audience, that's cool too. If we can give you some tips and tricks so you can get there a little faster, that's awesome or avoid some pitfalls. So that's what it's about. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. And I, and I love that 
it's pretty cool to reflect all these years later back yeah. on those moments when we were dreaming and yeah. envisioning things like that. Yeah. And now we're here yeah. on this podcast talking about our success stories. And we're, and we're and usually in together. houses that we own that are profitable, which is cool that you had, you had definitely had a part in, in a lot of those. So uh, thanks for listening on the line. We're going to wrap up uh, episode 11 out. If there's any questions, have them uh, be brought in for your agent. Todd is available if you're moving to Redding, California, if you need an agent. Um, but don't ask him to show you 100 don't ask them. Do, do your own homework. Know what you want. Have your own buy box. Come with a perspective and a point of view. Don't be an asshole. Right. Just, just be like Dennis and Christian, and then, <laughs> then you can call me. All right. Episode 11, booking confirmed out. See you.